What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 15 of season four. I'm your host, Kurt Field. And it is your boy, Finals Bruno. People forget Kurt, still in the education world. Your boy, Brundog, is fighting through adversity this week. It's finals week. I'm working on the clock. Kurt always works on the clock, so he knows how that feels. But I'm I'm on Kurt's level this week. We're doing finals. We're proctoring finals. We're at the CSD, Center for Students with Disabilities. Shout out. I'm still there right now. We're fucking Kurt. It's finals week. I don't even have a brain, but you know what? In the half a brain cell I have left, we're going to fucking crush this shit. I remember all too well. Uh, Taylor Swift. T- shout out T-Swift. 10-minute version. All too well. Any movie. <laughs> Taylor's version. Short movie. Short film. Short film. Um, how you just lose – your brain just becomes straight mush for about two weeks. The weeks leading up to finals. Finals. And then like the – five weeks you have off or whatever are glorious but you also do nothing to stimulate your brain those five weeks so between the finals mushing your brain and then your brain literally becoming mush because you don't use it for five weeks and then coming back for syllabus week in january it's just about two months of mush yeah kurt i could say confidently that there's mush afoot um (laughs) in the world of brunog um there's just mush everywhere you know i turn my head to the left slosh i turn my head to the right slosh so it's alive and well yeah uh that's i dude you know what i okay i'm gonna shamelessly plug a company here and i want them to sponsor us down i'm down here we go so bruno you know this you know this well about me we are friends we are good friends we are pals okay you also experienced many coffee runs with me uh the problem is i don't drink coffee so when aunt would get coffee or something i would not you and i would usually go to the like little snack place in the union or not or the union or um the library doesn't matter one of the two and i would either get some candy to stimulate myself and give me sugar like mike and ike um and i was on the peace tea vibe for a while you kind of got me into monsters i have waned myself back off of monsters but what really got me through late night tests, late night studying, late night essays, those awake bars. Do you remember seeing me eat those awake bars that are like, if you eat one of these awake bars, it's equal to one cup of coffee? Do you remember those? I totally remember those, Kurt. And I had never even heard of those before I started going on those trips with you. I also kind of remember us going to whether it was the bookstore convenience store or even the union bookstore and like i just remember them being like up front and you'd be like do you have any more and the guy would be like no you got the last like seven of them yesterday and we'd be like oh shit so yes Crap. i totally remember those yeah and i got ant didn't eat them i don't think but christy did 
Um, I think I got Christy onto those. But those, dude, those were really, really good. And now that's all I'm thinking about. So for the next however long we're doing this pod, I'm going to be salivating that about that. And I'm going to go immediately to Amazon and order some. They're on Amazon. Kurt, I am still both currently and this week at the stomping grounds where you got those. So my promise to you is that, listen, I have not been awake for maybe any second this week. I'm arguably not even awake right now. But I will go tomorrow because tomorrow's the biggest day of finals we have at the center. I will go tomorrow and see if I can purchase an awake bar. Maybe I'll purchase two, one for me and then one for you. And then, you know, we'll see how I wake. I'll give you an awake rating on a scale of fucking dead to awake. On that scale, I will let you know how good the awake bar is. I love that. Also, um, if you're going to eat one, milk chocolate is the best one. Oh, milk chocolate, goat flavor. So that's fine. Goat flavor. The milk, I uh, just texted Ant um, because I asked if Christy still eats awake bars. Breaking well, news. I said, "Are you? I bet you're asleep. And then I go, does your lovely bride eat those awake bars still? Bruno and I are currently discussing live on a podcast. He goes, barely awake. That was his entire response. And I don't know, barely <laughs> We don't have them anymore, but she would definitely if I got them. So, okay. There you go. It sounds like Amazon needs to, need to make some orders. The Rosati's still awake bar fans. I <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. Bruno, um, blessings to you as we as we approach this home stretch for you. Kurt, thank you. Um, also, blessings to me because I'm pretty sure uh, a certain C-word holiday is fast approaching. So that might be potentially, spoiler alert, the intro for us next week. Um, but listen, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But Kurt, blessings to us all on this wonderful holiday season. Blessings to us all for sure. Um, Bruno, I mm. think I think we need to start the recap for last week. And it's a big blessing. And it's a big blessing for a struggling, struggling Los Angeles <laughs> Rams team, Bruno. Um, Baker Mayfield. Wait, ba- uh, wait, I'm talking about the Rams. Uh-huh. The Rams? But why, why is why is Baker Mayfield part of this discussion? Because Baker Mayfield is back in a huge way, Bruno, and he is the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams as Matt Stafford is going through his injuries. Um, Baker Mayfield was acquired by the Rams on Tuesday night. Not only was it kind of surprising that Baker Mayfield was active for the Rams, but this man's played all but the first drive for them on Thursday night in their insane come-from-behind win over the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, he is, people forget, the leading rusher in the NFL this year, Bruno. He continued continued to be a beast on the ground for Vegas, but ultimately, Josh Jacobs on the ground, not enough to outdo a Baker in this one. Baker, 22 of 35, 230, and a touchdown. Bruno, that Mm -hmm. touchdown happened to come in the final seconds after he engineered an eight-play, 98-yard touchdown drive in a minute 35. Bruno, for someone who had been you know, in the facility for under 48 hours to go on a two-minute drill for a minute and 35 seconds, eight plays, 98 yards, to win the game is insane. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of it was stupidity by the Raiders. Uh, they had a 15-yard personal foul for smacking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands after a play um, because it was like a delay of game situation. Uh, and they also went press man with no help over the top with like 15 seconds to go that led to the Van Jefferson touchdown, which, again, is just awful, awful, awful coaching. So be that as it may, the story of the night was not the blown lead for the Raiders again. It was just Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield got so much love. It was so cool to see. Um, 
And some of the stories coming out of this whole thing are awesome. How much the team rallied around him. How Sean McVay took a flight to meet him, and they went over the playbook on the way on the way to Los Angeles. I don't know. Pretty pretty cool stuff for Baker, Bruno. Yeah, just an absolute feel good story. Again, especially because like, you know, people had kind of already gotten to the point where, uh, like the start of the game, people were having their hot takes. Again, it was a little more excusable considering the fact that, like you said, he had gotten there two days before and hadn't practiced with the team like at all. Um, but again, like the takes were flying, and then all of a sudden, said Baker said. No, no, no. The game ain't done yet. And again, I fully agree with you. Like, I wouldn't consider myself the biggest Baker fan. I just was like, holy shit, this is incredible that he just came to this team two days ago and is now leading this incredible comeback win. So good for uh, Baker. Good for the Rams. Uh, I guess good for the Patriots, too, because the Raiders lost. So, you know, we'll get to some of those results and the Patriots themselves later, but we'll certainly take that. Um, Kurt, in another game that affected the Patriots playoff chances, the Bills played the Jets this week. Um, I believe on the pick six, I took the Jets. Did I account for the blizzard weather? Absolutely not. Did I account for the fact that Josh Allen still wasn't 100% or the Bills still weren't 100%? No, I did not. Kurt, no matter what I just said, it's 100% the truth that the Bills still overcame the Jets to win by a final score of 2012. Kurt, as I was typing that and thinking that, shout out to 2012, 2012. Remember like that time? Was that, to, that was 2012, right? Where they were like a natural disaster is going to end the world or something with a Mayan calendar or something. That was 2012, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, 20, yeah. December 21st, 2012, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I just remember there's a disaster movie, maybe still on Netflix called 2012. I love disaster movies, by the oh, way, yeah. but great yeah. movie. So just, uh, I, I typed 20 to 12 and my brain was like 2012 disaster. Uh, Kurt, the world did not end in 2012, uh, but the Jets season may have ended with this loss because, Kurt, this was a game they could have won, but they did not pull it out in the end. I will say uh, Mike White tried his best. Uh, speaking of 100%, he injured maybe 100% of his ribs, uh, which I feel like is what we we see that all the time with backup quarterbacks. No different this time. He had to be taken to the hospital after the game because they were like worried about it. So clearly like that, you know, if you're getting taken to the hospital after the game because people are worried about your ribs, that's some serious shit. Uh, they also played this game in blizzard conditions. I, fun fact, in my other fantasy playoffs, almost started Mike White this week because I had um, Lamar Jackson out with his knee thing and Justin Fields on by. Or, yeah, right. I think that's what it was. So I was like, I have to pick someone up. I almost started Mike White. Good thing I didn't because uh, the blizzard did no favors for the Jets' uh, offense. Kurt, I will also say, uh, people forget, the Patriots took advantage of some poor weather conditions to beat the Bills last year. So I'm just saying, Kurt, I am just saying the, what the Patriots did last year, take advantage of the run game. What did the Bills do this game? Take advantage of the run game. They had triple-digit rushing yards. Uh, their quarterback threw uh, – or, or sorry, they had triple-digit running yards, rushing yards, and they took advantage of that to the point where the Jets did not. Kurt, fun little uh, little rhyme for you. We're big rhyme fans here. Uh, the quarterbacks threw no picks. The kickers missed no kicks. I just thought, you know, I don't always look at those stats, Kurt, but I did. And I saw that and I was like, that needs to be a rhyme. Spitting truth, spitting 100% truth, if you will, Kurt. I. Uh, the difference in this game, the Jets had two fumbles and the Bills kind of took control. So, Kurt, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, the biggest conclusion we could draw from this game is that those Patriots last year could beat these Jets this year. And you know what? These Patriots this year can also beat the Jets this year. So that at least we have that. The Patriots who have played the Jets the last 14 times could be the, could be the Jets. 100% of the last 14 times we played, we beat them. So. 100% of the time. Bruno, yeah, this was a huge game. This was a huge game. As a, as Patriots fans, we were actually rooting for the Bills to try to knock the Jets out of the playoff picture at the moment. Uh, and that, that did go according to plan. So that's good stuff. It'll be interesting to see how these two – I mean, don't get me wrong. 
The Jets' defense is borderline elite. It is very good. But the Bills' offense still is lacking. I don't know if you saw what that reporter said to Josh Allen after the game. He was like, your offense isn't good enough to win a playoff game. And Josh says, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> thanks for your insight, pal. Okay. Buddy. Fucking herky jerk. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the Bills, I think the Bills will figure it out. They're still going to be there at the end of the year. Yep. Bruno, another team who very well could be there. At the end of the year, Joe Burrow and the Bengals topped the Browns 23-10 for Cincinnati's fifth straight win. And for the last two months, the Bengals look like a team that I believe. And again, it's just my opinion, just one poor man's opinion. But he thinks they can make it back to the Super Bowl. Bruno, Joe Burrow and the playmakers around him on offense are usually the story, but not necessarily in this one. This one kind of belonged to the defense. Since he bottled up the Browns on, on the ground, obviously running back Nick Chubb is a, is a monster. They kept him in check. They picked off Deshaun Watson and stopped the Browns on three fourth down plays to ultimately steal the win. Um, it was documented pretty well on this podcast last week how terrible Deshaun Watson played. He was slightly, slightly sharper in this one. Um but he couldn't make the like the big plays when he needed it most. So the big third downs, the fourth down conversions, couldn't he? He wasn't good on those downs. He finished twenty six of forty two for two seventy six, and uh, his touchdown pass was the only time the Browns found the end zone the entire game. Back to the Bengals, Jamar Chase, monster game. That's normal at this point. Where that's not not surprising anybody these days. But it was a monster game specifically after both T Higgins and Tyler Boyd left the game with uh, with injuries. So that is something as a team that is making gearing up for a postseason run, something to monitor down the stretch here for the Bengals. Again, they are currently in the wild card spot, but the, with the tie at the top of the AFC North with the Ravens, so those two are battling it out for a home game, pretty much. Um, and it'll be interesting here because if if you rush them back and then you make the playoffs and then you don't have them, you, there are problems. But if you if you um, if you do rush them back and they get hurt. What, what are, where are we going from there? So something to monitor as the Bengals keep going here. Yeah. And Kurt, that, that, what you just brought up about monitoring that and what's going on with those injured players, I will say you're absolutely right in your logic, but also it's fucking horseshit, Kurt. I had T Higgins in the playoffs in another one of my league. He got taken off the injury report heading into the game, played one fucking snap in the game and then out for the game. So sure. Maybe he tweaked something on that snap, but like, buddy, if you're clearly, if you're that injured, why are you getting taken off the injury report? Exactly like you said, just keep them out for the game and rest them until it matters, you know? So I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, wild. Bengals definitely got to get healthy. Wild. Wild. Um, Kurt, speaking of wild, uh, this is a real sentence I'm about to say. The Texans this week, the Houston Texans, that is, almost beat the Dallas Cowboys in the battle for Texas. 27-23, final score, Kurt. Uh, Kurt, the line for this game was Cowboys minus 17. Hmm. That almost was not even true at all because the Texans huh. almost were plus three. So Dude, I mean, this game was there. this game was nuts. Yeah, this game was nuts, Kurt. It took a 98-yard touchdown drive towards the end of the game for Dak to come back to lead the Cowboys to the victory. They almost lost it even still. Dak threw like a horrible interception at some point in that fourth quarter late in the game. There also was the Texans going for it on like fourth and one with like the worst play call of all time where like they were running different ways and like completely incompetent on offense, which again, is kind of what we expect from this Texans team. But again, the fact that at that point they were beating the Cowboys is crazy. Kurt, I don't really have too much to say about the X's and O's of this game. I think what this really comes down to, if we're going to be honest, kind of may have been a trap game for the Cowboys, right? Like at this point, the Cowboys are thinking 
potentially if they win out, including beating the Eagles, they have a shot in the division. Maybe even if they don't, they're a top team in the NFC. They're thinking deep playoff run. I think it is fair to say if the when the Cowboys saw the Texans on their schedule, they were like, yeah, that's a, that's a guaranteed win. Obviously, they played like that, and that's why they almost lost. But I don't really look at this as like an alarm bells ringing situation. I more look at this like, you know, the Cowboys are playing the Eagles in two weeks, and they maybe are looking ahead to that. Kurt, do you agree with that, or are you concerned after seeing this game? No, I'm not concerned. I really do think the Cowboys are going to be there uh, at the end of the year. Just your quintessential trap game, like you mentioned, Bruno. Um, The Texans, this is perfect for them. You know, like we talked about, the quietest – tank job you've ever seen like they are horrendous uh and but they have found themselves in a couple games no one gave them a chance against the cowboys and ultimately they were there at the end bruno um shameless plug again i'm ready Uh, i've been texting our our boss our former aunt rosati about awake bars naturally (laughs) he sends me a screenshot he just sent them to my he bought them on amazon and sent them to my address what the fuck aunt (laughs) he he oh he's he is he's the man so shout out aunt rosati for being the best boss of all time um he says good night kurtai tell bruno he is the smartest bruno i know he's got this final thing on lockdown that's from that's from our boss so shout out our former boss aunt and kurt i would say speaking of 100 percent earlier there's about a 100 percent chance that he's like asleep doing this and will not remember doing this in the morning no zero chance when he wakes up because cooper's <laughs> up at 4 a.m uh he's he's not gonna remember any of this conversation nope um anyway back to football bruno lions vikings okay bruno when i tell you well i don't even have to tell you you were all over this one my friend so Mm -hmm. round of applause for you the lions who were somehow some way favored over the 10 and 2 minnesota vikings to the surprise of not only me but many not only beat them but they also covered in the 34-23 victory on Sunday afternoon, Bruno, Jared Goff, who over the last six weeks... <laughs> he's they, golfing off. They're, he's golfing off? Are they going to build around Goff? Bruno, I don't know. He had a 40... 40- <laughs> Welcome to Goffum. Um, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Thank you. Uh, he had a 41-yard touchdown pass to rookie Jamison Williams, who was making his first start since tearing his ACL in the national championship game last year. He also had a 48-yard touchdown pass to DJ Chark for two of his three touchdowns uh, in, in the first half. Bruno, that obviously led the, led the surging Lions to a big lead early on, and they kind of never looked back. The Vikings had a chance to clinch the division title with a win or a tie, but Dan Campbell said, not today, my friend, not today. Bruno, Kirk Cousins threw for 425 yards, which is kind of bananas. It does go like kind of goes to show how horrendously bad um the lions pass defense still is but it didn't matter um in this game though justin jefferson we it has been well documented on this podcast what we think of justin jefferson and what uh one of the hosts thought about him when he was coming out of the uh draft because i Hmm. still have ptsd regarding Hmm. that um He had 223 yards in this game on 11 catches as a franchise record for Minnesota. That's a franchise record for almost any team, I believe. That's uh, Banana Land Madden numbers. Uh, Dalvin Cook, on the other hand, though, 
ran for just 23 yards on 15 carries. And like I said, Minnesota couldn't stop Jared Goff, which just kind of spelled disaster for them. Lions have now won five of six and have scored 25-plus points in five straight games for the first time since 1954. Bruno, how did they ice this game? How did the Detroit Lions ice this game? By throwing a pass to their tackle, Penne Sewell, to clinch the game. And, Bruno, I have to play the clip, and it's 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 slightly long. Okay, well, okay. it's it's the clip that went around in our group chat earlier regarding Dan yeah. Campbell, and he is a yep. national treasure, and he must be yep. he must be kept at all. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, Dan, uh, Dan, Dan, so Dan, Dan, not ahead. not yet, Dan. Jesus. All right, I'm gonna play it. It's 48 <laughs> seconds. Okay, this is this is for the listeners at home. You're welcome. Uh, here's another thing that happened. These things happen during the game, but um, so we're in that that situation, and the fans are doing the wave. Um, around the stadium, and so I'm just watching, and I hear Ben Johnson's like, "Hey, coach, you want to perform?" And I, and I'm just, I'm so focused on the wave, and I said, "Yeah, that's fine." And I look up, and we're throwing it to Panay, and I'm like, "What the fuck are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> coach said it was fine, so, but it worked out great. Uh, unbelievable. Bruno, that's a man that needs to be protected at all costs. Kurt. I absolutely love that. Part of me is like, he's the fucking man, and I love that he said that, and that's hilarious. Part of me is like, that's an NFL coach admitting that that's what he did. But you know what, Kurt? We, we must protect our treasure. It's an NFL coach of a surging team looking to make the playoffs, <laughs> openly admitting like, wow, the fans doing the wave had me more distracted than a, a game-clinching play. Like, <laughs> can you imagine Bill Belichick? Being oh like, God. there were a couple fans in the stands doing the wave, and I was so distracted that I didn't hear fucking Matt Patricia call and play. It would have been a screen anyway, but like, you know, like, still, it's just kind of crazy, like you said, that an NFL coach would admit to that. Yeah, Kurt, absolutely crazy. And again, listen, the lines are fun, so they're going to have fun uh, and they're going to do their thing. Uh, Kurt, speaking of absolutely crazy, this next game, uh, Jaguars 36, Titans 22. Hmm. Uh, uh, Titans were up seven nothing and fourteen to seven in this game. Derrick Henry rushed for hundred twenty one yards and a touchdown, and the Titans lost to the Jaguars. Huh? Kurt, weird, weird result in this one as the AFC South continues to confound and confuse. Kurt, that's kind of where I'm at with this game. Uh, I will say, Trevor Lawrence. Some games he looks like shit. Other games like this one, he looked really good. He threw for three hundred sixty eight yards and three touchdowns. Kurt, of all people on the receiving end of a lot of that was Evan Ingram. Huh? 15 targets, 11 catches, 162 yards, and two touchdowns for Evan Ingram. Not what I would have expected if you told me the Jaguars scored 36 points. Uh, The Jaguars, again, they're known for turning the ball over. But in this game, they capitalized on the Titans turning the ball over. They They took four Titans turnovers and turned that into 20 Jaguars points. So, Kurt... Again, just one of those weird-ass AFC South games that, like, you just see these happen all the time, and you're like, what? Like, what? Did I read that right? So I will say, again, like, we don't need to spend too long going over this actual game. In the long run, the Jaguars are still the Jaguars, and the Titans, honestly, are still probably going to win the division. They Like, I don't know what the percentage chances at this point, but it's, it's still pretty high even after this loss. Quite the puzzling result, though, for the Titans, and not necessarily the positive momentum I'm sure they want heading into the playoff push. Kurt, good to see 
that the Titans firing former GM John Robinson last week paid immediate dividends. Great. Love to see it. Yeah, paid immediate dividends for the Jaguars. So congratulations (laughs) to them. You know, I have what might be a blazing hot take. Okay. I think Trevor Lawrence has a legitimate chance to win the NFL MVP next year. Oh, my God. For a second, I thought you were saying this year, Kurt. And I was like, Kurt, that is scorching hot take. <laughs> that is Kurt. center of the earth. I mean, Kurt, what I will say, his biggest problem is consistency. Like, when he's good, he's, like, top-tier good. He just, it's like, it's like one out of every two or three games. Here's what I'll also say. You get him a number one, things are going to be good for them. Bruno. True. No one is talking about this. Zero people. Zero are talking about this. Don't they traded for Calvin Ridley at the... At, the NFL trade deadline this year. And I completely forgot about that. No one's talking about it. He Calvin Ridley, again, suspended for a full year. Say what you want about that. I know you can't bet on the NFL games if you're a player, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, he's going to be a Jaguar next year. He's going to be jagging off with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Is he going to? Okay, never mind. Kid show. Um, but yeah, I completely forgot about that. And you're definitely right. I will also toss this out there. Zay Jones. Do I know him because of fantasy waivers? Perhaps. Is he popping off as a great number two to Calvin Ridley? Perhaps. So, Kurt, I listen, stats guy, mark this down. 24 minutes in week 15, Kurt already came up with one of his bold predictions for next year, right now. You, Kurt, you just did your homework so far in advance. I'm proud of you. So far in advance. Sh- credit to me for being an A plus student. Uh, Bruno, one of my bold picks regards to the, uh, a quarterback in the next game we're going to talk about. Thank you for throwing me that softball for a segue. <laughs> uh, Bruno, I'm not, this and this uh, bold pick. This is a good one. All right, Bruno. Jalen Hurts threw for two tutties and ran for another as the Eagles clinched their second straight playoff berth and fifth in six years with a 48-22 win over the fading, fading New York Giants. Bruno, Jalen Hurts improved his MVP stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, by going for 217 yards, hitting Devonta Smith on a 41-yard fourth down touchdown strike. Also, like that was fucking insane. I don't know if you saw that. Horribly misplayed yeah. by the Giants, but still awesome by Devonta Smith. Uh, and obviously, A.J. Brown had a 33-yard touchdown because that man is in the end zone every week, it appears. Uh, Eagles sure. did score on their first three possessions and just kind of put the game away early. Uh, the third-year yep. quarterback also ran for 77 yards and a score to become the first quarterback in NFL history to rush for at least 10 touchdowns in consecutive seasons. Now, remember, Cam right. Newton was a person, is a person, no longer an NFL player. But, you know, the fact that Cam Newton didn't do that and Jalen Hurts did just goes to show what a talent he is. Um, Bruno, as much as I consider the Vikings to be pretenders, I think the Eagles are for real atop the NFC playoff picture. For the Giants... They have one win in their last six games. They are 1-4-1. and one. Uh, Obviously, they, they started out great. They have not played well since then. Uh, and their hopes of their first playoff burst in 2016 are starting to slip with just four games remaining. However, they will have a shot at the postseason, and so much of that will be decided on Sunday night when they take on the Commanders. So uh, the game that the Patriots got flexed out of has been taken over by the Commanders Giants, and we and it and it does have massive playoff implications. Absolutely, Kurt. Uh, Kurt, speaking of getting flexed out of situations, I wish my eyeballs, your eyeballs, and all of our eyeballs got flexed out of seeing this Ravens Steelers game this past weekend because my oh my, Kurt, was that gross, gross, and more gross. 
Kurt, I will say as much as we don't really like the Ravens or the Steelers, when you think of Ravens Steelers, you think of kind of an iconic rivalry that has some epic games. Like I can admit that as a Patriots fan, credit to me, credit to you, credit to us for admitting that. Kurt, this game this past weekend was positively whatever the opposite end of the spectrum of an iconic epic game is that's what this game was kurt let me just walk you through the circumstances before the game and during the game for this raven Steelers game lamar jackson i think i already hinted at this earlier he's out for like three to five weeks or something with an injury so we already knew he was out this game tyler huntley who has had some okay games in the past filling in for lamar jackson he was starting this game that did not last he got knocked out of the game with a concussion in comes who the fuck knows who this guy is anthony brown third string quarterback for the Ravens into play for the Ravens. Meanwhile, on the other side, we had Kenny Pickett in the first quarter also get knocked out of the game with a concussion. So none other than our very own Mitchell, the Mitchell Trubisky came in for the Steelers and finished the game for the Steelers. So listen, when you think of top tier games, you don't really think of Anthony Brown versus Mitch Trubisky. Uh, let's not bury the lead. I don't even think I said the result. The Ravens won 16 to 14. Honestly, Anthony Brown did nothing. I think he was like three for five for 16 yards. The Ravens rushing attack came alive. Gus Edwards was okay. The big story for the Ravens was J.K. Dobbins coming back from injury. He had 120 rushing yards and a touchdown. Again, this was was rather disgusting of a game. Kurt, the biggest thing we're taking away from this game is that we were hoping, like at one point, we thought it was going to be the Ravens winning the division and the Bengals like in the wild card. It Nothing's decided yet, especially because the records are close, but it seems the trend now is Bengals perhaps on their way to winning the division and Ravens perhaps not, but we were hoping the Ravens would just like lose all their games and miss the playoffs. This win is probably going to end up being huge for them. So not great for the Patriots. Yeah. It's again, it's a weird game for the Patriots because like you mentioned, you just pointed that out for the Ravens. However, on the other side of this, and you, again, view us how you will. If Pittsburgh had won that game, they go to six and seven. Like one game back of the Patriots in the wild card. So it's kind of like a coin flip. Either way you look at it, it's not that great. Um, but the Steelers have like many winnable games left. Panthers, Raiders, Browns are all winnable games. So like, you know, if they had won that game, there's a in a, in a distant world where they do, they do maybe come back into this playoff picture. So a weird game with weird outcomes that uh, did directly affect the playoffs, Bruno. Yes, sir. One team that we know will be in the playoffs for shiz. And one team that we know will not be in the playoffs for shiz. Bruno, the Chiefs and Broncos. Chiefs moved to 10-3 and on the 2022 campaign and extended their dominance over Denver with their 14th consecutive win over the Broncos. Four, 14 consecutive wins over a, 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 a division rival. Sounds like something Sounds like something only elite teams can do. Oh. oh, I'm just I'm just saying. Anyway, Denver slides to three and ten in the season. Denver did make a game of this though, okay, by scoring three touchdowns in a three and a half minute stretch after falling behind twenty seven nothing early on in this one. Bruno, I saw the game was twenty seven nothing right before half and was like, this is fucking hilarious. I checked back <laughs> like fifteen minutes later and it was twenty seven twenty one, and I was like, yeah. what on God's green earth just happened? Um. Mahomes threw for 352, three touchdowns, including a no-look pass on one of them to Jarek McKinnon. Uh, he had two touchdowns on the day. And Bruno, I swear to God, if I have to see the goddamn no-look touchdown pass one more time on ESPN, I promise you my head is going to explode. I will not make it to Christmas. I will not make it to Hanukkah. Hanukkah? When does Hanukkah? Hanukkah start? 
the 18th. Night of the 18th. Night of the 18th. I won't be around, okay? If I <laughs> one more time, I will not be here. I will not be present, all right? Bruno, for the Broncos and their failing season, there was some good news and plenty of bad news in this one. Like I mentioned, they did fall behind 27-0, but they, they, they fought back. They battled adversity. They got it back to 27-21. Another positive, Jerry Judy. He caught three touchdown passes for Denver. That's impressive from him. He's kind of, you know, injuries have taken a toll on him, but he's kind of getting going here. Um, but he got, he caught the last one from Brett Ripian, Ripian, however you said that backup quarterback's last name, because Russell, Wilk, Russell Wilson on a 14 yard scramble uh, down to the Kansas City two yard line got molly whopped and molly and concussed. And Bruno, when he took his helmet off, did you see the bump on his head? That man, yeah. my, my parents used to be like, oh, did you get an egg on your head? Like when I would bump my head on something. The Russell Wilson had an egg on his head, let me tell you. So good for the yeah. Broncos for battling. But once again, Chiefs too much and a, a bad injury to Russell Wilson there. Yeah, Kurt, that was tough. Um, I'm completely with you. I had the exact same reaction. I saw the score of this game, literally just laughed, gave me a good chuckle. And then I think I saw like a game break. I don't know what I saw. And I was like, what? I was like, that has to be wrong. Like, I was like, the Broncos are doing that, who have not scored at all the whole year. So again, didn't get the job done in the end. But uh, they certainly at least threw some excitement into a game that was not exciting in the first half. Uh, Speaking of games, Kurt, that weren't exciting, period. uh, 49ers Bucks, Kurt, because this game... We talked about this. Brock Purdy versus Tom Brady. You hear that sentence and you're like, wow, Brock Purdy versus Tom Brady, especially with Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant, literally the last pick in the draft. You're like, okay, mismatch. Well, turns out the teams they play for matter, Kurt, because this game was a mismatch and it was a mismatch of the 49ers being way better than the Bucks. Final score, 35 to 7. Believe it or not, it that like felt closer than the game actually was. Like it just felt like the 49ers literally just absolutely pooped all over the Bucks. It was never really close. Uh, this game started, Kurt, with Brock Purdy. Speaking of mollywopped, Brock Purdy got absolutely rocket pummel sacked. Yes, I just invented that phrase. He literally got destroyed. There's like a clip on Twitter uh, that shows whoever sacked him, like just sprinting off the line and literally torpedoing himself into Brock Purdy. So Brock Purdy could have gotten torpedoed and exploded and died. And Kurt, instead of doing that, he calmly got up and he ended up throwing for two touchdowns and rushing for another. And they, the 49ers seized control and never let it go. So good for the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey had one of his signature games, 119 rush yards. He had one of those explosive TD runs to kind of like really put a nail on it later on. Honestly, Brock Purdy, again, he like wasn't like the best quarterback of all time, like someone on the other sideline. But he certainly did the job and he was pretty calm and running the offense efficiently and effectively. And again, that's like all he really has to do. And the 49ers defense is just elite, right? They just stifled the Bucks. They continue to just be absolutely dominant. Brady threw two picks and it just never really seemed like the Bucks could get going whatsoever. Uh, Kurt, takeaways for the 49ers. Brock Purdy, again, he was in front of all his friends and family. I think you brought this up on the pick six or last week's pod. His family bought tickets to this game before the season being like, oh, you're playing Tom Brady. That's kind of cool. Didn't even know he'd be starting his first game. So in front of all his friends and family, gets his first start, plays against the GOAT, gets the win. He, like, pretty much looked calm all game. I don't know if you saw him after the game too, Kurt, but he, like, like he could have been freaking out. He could have been all excited. He was just calmly going to the stands and his family being like, yep, this is the shit. I do the shit. Like, I, he was like, yep, I just beat Tom Brady my first start. So he's calm, cool, and collected. And honestly, that, like, could be exactly what the 49ers need. The other takeaway for the 49ers, Debo Samuel got hurt. I think the latest update I saw today is that he's out 
for about three weeks or so with his, I think it's like an ankle injury or something. It's an MCL um, so, or a sprained MCL. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later for them. I know they are in the thick of it for the playoff race and the division race. I think, again, they are going the right way and the Seahawks are going the wrong way. So hope they're probably hoping they can hang on and win the division and, you know, go from there. But again, the fact that he's not out for the season is huge. Meanwhile, Kurt, the Bucks. Again, I know they pulled out that miracle win last week, but they are just they're just painful to watch. I mean, like they have good pieces, but the receivers are dropping balls, the offense is out of sync, the offensive line is given is making Tom Brady see ghosts. The defense is obviously not playing that well. So they're kind of the Titans in the NFC, right? They're they're like not playing that well, but they're probably still gonna win their division. So they're gonna have to figure something out. Cause if they, you know, say hypothetically right now, I think they'd be playing the Cowboys. They would be hosting the Cowboys, which again, you know, the Cowboys have been known to like be playing really well and lose the game they should have won in the past that's happened but i would not bet on brady as the bucks and brady look right now against any team in the playoffs no they look really bad bruno and <clears throat> did you see that kind of bombshell report come out about brady today changing the game plans like the night before games and oh i didn't see that. yeah so like there's like a, a thing where brady hodes has his own meeting with skill players and he goes in and he changes byron left and todd bolsa's game plan a little bit and the offensive coaches don't know about it until like the game is happening. It was like kind of wild. And like, I know Tom feels like entitled to that, but also like talk. If you want to be more involved in a game plan, talk to your coaches when the game plan is being made. Yeah. And on top of that, Kurt, I know it's very early for this talk, but we did have a talk about maybe Tom Brady back on the Patriots. That shit as if Belichick is here is not going to fly. So that is a very interesting wrinkle to this. Like, is he going to be on the Bucks? Is he going to keep playing? Is he going to play for another team debate? Because I don't think Belichick would allow that to happen for a single second. He wouldn't. But can you imagine Matt Patricia telling Tom Brady what to do? <laughs> I, I cannot. <laughs> I can't imagine Matt Patricia telling me what to do. So forget, yeah. forget, forget Tom Brady, Bruno. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk more about the NFC South here for a second, Bruno. For all the drama that has surrounded the Carolina Panthers this season, the resiliency among that group has shocked me and has left them unexpectedly in the middle of a playoff race with four games to go after their 30-24 to win over the Seahawks. Bruno, Sam Darnold, the man I had been begging them to start for weeks, threw one touchdown pass as Chuba Hubbard and some other fucking Joe Schmo both had rushing mm-hmm. touchdowns, and the Panthers stayed in the thick of their muddled-ass division. And believe it or not, Bruno, they control their own destiny. If the Panthers win out, which is a long shot, I like... Trust me, it's a long shot. Um, <laughs> if they went out, they win the NFC South. Bruno, who do they have left? Let's see. They have the Steelers, the Lions, Steelers. the Bucks, the Saints. So realistically, the chances of that happening is incredibly low, slim to none. But they, the fact that they control their own destiny and they're currently 5-8, and eight, I think, is insane. Um, yeah. Yeah, Carolina's now 5-8, and eight, and they won for the third time in their last four games. And this, this is insane. You ready for this? I'm ready. They won away from Charlotte for the first time since week 10 of last season. Uh, This season for the Seahawks, big success for Geno Smith, but the defense lately has done no favors for him. They continue to struggle in a big way. Seattle has now allowed two of its last three opponents to top 200 yards rushing and five straight, five straight opponents have rushed for over 122 yards per note. So not only are they running the ball effectively, they're also managing the clock really well. Um, 
Yeah. And it's kind of screwing Seattle. So if Seattle wants to make anything happen in this postseason, they're going to have to figure it out defensively. It is not a recipe for success moving on, if you ask me. Kurt, uh, and I absolutely agree for you, with you. So we shall see what happens there. Kurt, speaking of teams that need to clean it up for the playoffs, even though the Chargers beat the Dolphins 23-17 this week, Kurt, the waters have officially been muddied, and both these teams need to clean it up. Kurt, you would think in the water the Dolphins would have the advantage. However, however, the Chargers were the ones with that advantage last night because the Dolphins played like absolute shit. Kurt, the Dolphins are going to look back on this game and absolutely regret it because they, like I said, they played so bad, and they honestly still could have won this game. Kurt, 23-17 to 17 final score. Listen to some of the shit that went on, right? Tua, horrible. He played absolutely awful. I think he was like 3 for 17 or something. I know he ended 10 for 28, so he was wildly inaccurate, right? After most of the season, up until the last two games, he had looked like a, you know, born-again quarterback, right? He had his two wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. He was playing well. These last two games, he's fallen apart. Of, this, of the points, right? So the Dolphins scored 17 points, Kurt. Of those points, seven of them, came on the most improbable fumble recovery touchdown you may ever see. Giant, like, pie, like I forget who caught it, um, maybe Dusecki or someone on the Dolphins or whoever it was, and basically there's a scrum, and the ball just, I'm going to say it, Kurt, just be prepared, squirts its way loose of the pile, and Tyree kills, like, to the back left of the pile, and he, like, gets the ball right to him. Nobody sees him gets the ball, right? Like, the pile is still piling. He gets the ball just basically sprints on the right side up into the end zone untouched, a, you know, again, he's fast as fuck, right? But again, he basically somehow got the ball and scored. So seven other points were on a miracle fumble uh, recovery touchdown. Three of their points came on a late field goal, kind of after things had almost already been decided. You know what I mean? So again, 10 of their 17 points were pretty fluky, and they really only managed seven points, Kurt, against the vaunted Chargers defense. Hmm. So not great for the Dolphins. Again, they had looked so good all year, and that was a tough result for them this week. Meanwhile, for the Chargers, Kurt, your boy Herbie Hancock, he played pretty well. He threw for 367 yards in a tutty. They were great. The Chargers regained their spark, their hope, their charge, whatever you want to call it. They get a crucial win to stay alive in the playoff race. Kurt, I-, I will also say the Chargers, while they did win, they didn't look particularly impressive either. So, again, what I'm taking more from this game away is that the Dolphins, again, if you asked us like two or three weeks ago, we'd be saying, you know, they're top of the AFC. They had not lost any games when Tua was fully healthy and he played the whole game. You know, they were they were balling out. Now the story is Tua is inaccurate. He can't find his good receivers. And again, Kurt, as good as his receivers are, if Tua can't get them the ball, they ain't doing shit. So I will say, Kurt, on the top of all of that, um, I don't, you, you know the math more than me, but like the Dolphins theoretically at some point were almost so far ahead of us that we, couldn't have caught them so if they had just kept on winning maybe that would have been good for us especially if they had beaten the teams around us they don't do that now the dolphins are closer in record to us and the chargers pick up a win in the playoff race so not ideal for the red tro new england patriots yeah bruno um let's hmm, no let's talk about this now i was saying let's save this but i want to talk about it now so chargers and dolphins again this was a massive game for playoff implications for the patriots okay I don't know if this hurt the Patriots or was good for the Patriots. I can't make my mind up about it. But let's talk about the Chargers here for a second, okay? The Chargers with the win now move to 7-6. and six. They have four games left. Here are the remaining four games. The Titans, the Colts, the Rams, and the Broncos. There is a realistic chance here they win all four. 
that's not good for the Patriots. Yeah. Like, that's really not good for the Patriots. Um, <laughs> unless the Titans can beat them and then Baker Mayfield has some magic or something. Um, I am pretty confident the Chargers are making the playoffs. Okay. Now, here, if you go to the Dolphins, Bruno, like you said, they've kind of fallen apart these last two weeks. They're currently eight and five. They have four games remaining. Their remaining games, Bruno, the Bills in Buffalo, where it's on Saturday night, where it looks like it's going to be like five degrees and seven inches of snow. Now, the Dolphins had heaters indoors in Los Angeles this week. So they were, the, they, were they were cold. They were, it was like 48 degrees in Los Angeles. Uh, now they're going to Buffalo. Good luck, fellas. Um, so I think there's a realistic chance they lose that game. They dropped to eight and six. Okay. Then they have the Packers. I think they'll probably win that. And then they have the Patriots and the Jets. There's a chance, a chance, it might be an outside shot, that if they continue the way they've played the last couple weeks, that they lose three of the final four here down the stretch. And Bruno, if they lose to us, it goes to tiebreakers. We'd have to we have to be the we have to be the Dolphins. So um that's a good segue. Let's talk Patriots, uh, Bruno. Um, let's do it right now. Bruno, speaking of the Patriots and possible playoff scenarios. Okay. Mm. Well, it's all well and good to talk about. Here's the thing though. Patriots won on Monday night in Arizona by two touchdowns. Woohoo. Yay. <laughs> Hurrah. So happy. Can we just stop there? Uh, like, let's just stop there. <laughs> it's not going to matter <laughs> about playoff seedings. If the Patriots keep playing the way that they have. Bruno, in what was supposed to be a get-right game for the Patriots, um, that that first half, not much went right. And it looked like they were going to be in for a slugfest. Ultimately, the defense came up huge in the second half um, against Colt McCoy. Bruno, why was Colt McCoy in that game? Can you can you alert our listeners? Well, uh, Kyler Murray, the usual starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, scary one of those classic scary non-contact injuries that at the time ruled him out for the game. And we found out today he tore his ACL. So he exited the game. I think was it, the, it was the second play, the first play. It was like what well, first or second play of the game. Third, third play. Third, of the okay. Game. So yep. it wasn't what I said. So I was dead wrong, but it was in the top three plays of the game. First three plays of the game. Bruno. It's just like, okay. So Kyler Murray goes out and now you're thinking, okay, the Patriots, they should just roll yes. in this one. These fuckers were losing at halftime. Okay. Bruno, it was 13 to 10 at the half. But I, my overarching takeaway from this Patriots game is the narrative hasn't changed. And it's, I don't think it's going to change about this team. It just feels like copy paste every week in terms of what we talk about. And it's getting old to talk about. Uh, the offense has no continuity. It has no rhythm. Mac Jones hates Matt Patricia, makes that wildly evident 
the last couple weeks here. Um, the defense is good when they have a lead and they can pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. But other than that, Bruno, there's still too many mistakes. They look poorly coached at times. They can't punt. It's just like there are too many flaws, too many chinks in their armor, I feel like, to, to even you know talk about making the playoffs and how are they going to get in. And, like, dude, this team is not good enough that we should talk like that. This team is like, we better hold on and hope for dear life that they, go, they can beat the fucking Raiders this week because one loss to them and they're like, this, it's sunk. It's over. It's done. So, um, I, I just, it, it's, it's troublesome. It's worrisome that it, it's gotten to this point for the Patriots. But, you know, we're, you know, 13 games in the season. I don't really think it's changing. Do you? Yeah. And Kurt, along those same lines, I completely agree with you, right? I feel like we've said the same things about the Patriots every week and we've seen the same things from every week. Even more so on top of that, this goes back to the whole, you know, Belichick being asked if he's going to make a change at coaching or whatever. And as you said, again, either on pick six or last week, you know, Bill's a stubborn guy. Like he has, he has done what he's done for his whole time in the league and he's won. Right. So credit to him. He's the greatest coach of all time. No one's denying the things that he's done, but he has sunk. He has decided to make his stand on the Hill that the answer to the Patriots season this year is Matt Patricia and Joe judge running things on offense. And Kurt, we've played fucking all these games so far. And this is the result that we've gotten. It has not gotten better. You know, I think you also said this. One of the hallmarks of Patriots is improving as the weather gets colder, and especially in December. We sure we yeah, we got to win against a team that lost their starting quarterback on the third play of the game. Woohoo! Like you said earlier, woohoo! Congrats! Woohoo! But like, it just it doesn't gloss over any of the fact that as you know, our our good friend Jay Lube eighty four Jason Loveland just over and over again is says something along the the lines of the fact that he'd rather fucking you like uh never watch the patriots again than watch matt patricia call another play for the patriots like that's basically where we're at and again that just goes to your point that we're saying the same shit so as much as it's exciting being a playoff race and as much as we're talking about this scenarios and undoubtedly like what's gonna be fun for patriots fans the rest of the season is like scoreboard watching and figuring out what we need to happen and all this shit but kurt you said it best we need to win and the way we're playing you know again we're not even guaranteed to win over the Raiders, and then we have Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't want to play this game, but realistically, to have any shot of making it, they got to win three out of four. And in those three, you, one has to be the Raiders because you're not beating the Bengals, Dolphins, and Bills back back to back. Um, I think their best two chances probably are the Raiders this week and then the Dolphins at home. And then you you got to pray you can steal one from the Bengals or the Bills, but I Bruno, it's it looks bleak. And again, it doesn't matter if this offense does what it does, um, or what it's done all year outside of the Minnesota game where they looked competent there for a minute. Um, now, however, th- that that's a glass half empty approach to looking at the Patriots. If you want to dig a little bit here and find a glass half full approach, there's a couple ways I can kind of look at this. Number one. While I don't think Matt Patricia has called a collective good game all season for the Patriots, I don't think he will call a collective good game the rest of the season for the Patriots. There are moments where it's like, okay, like, no, that's good. And it's like two or three plays in a row, and then he goes back to his bullshit. But, like, it's like, okay, there are hints of it. Like, the Hunter Henry back up the seam twice last last night. I was like, okay, where has that been all season? The... 
whoever's idea it was to put Marcus Jones, the rookie cornerback on offense, has just given them a speed dynamic that they ha- that they don't have offensively. And if you give them the ball, it means that the linebackers are on them and stuff. So it's it's been a good little niche, 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 niche thing for them. I like it. Okay, and Bruno, the Patriots had. I mean, the whole game last night was injury riddled. Okay, so coming into the game, already ruled out was Jacoby Myers. So your best receiver out, Isaiah Wynn out, and again we. <laughs> Well documented at this point, what we think of Isaiah Wynn. However, he's your starting tackle, and he's better than Connor McDermott. I promise you that. <laughs> so um, Isaiah Wynn out and Damian Harris out. So three of your starters are out. Early in this game, who goes down? Devontae Parker, concussed. Also, NFL, do your fucking job. Okay, we, you, have these, you have these spotters, concussion spotters. Dude, this man's couldn't walk. He couldn't even line up right. Nelson Aguilar, shout out Nelson Aguilar. It's about the only time I'm going to shout out Nelson Aguilar. Um, waving frantically, trying to get the play to stop because he saw Devontae Parker could not even line up. Um, and and Devontae Parker has been pretty vocal about it on social media today. I don't know if you've got a chance to see it, but mad at the way that it was handled. Um, but thankful for Nelson Aguilar for defending him, essentially. Um, so Devontae Parker concussed out for the game. Okay, Ramondre Stevenson, ankle injury, tries to come back in the game, can't go. Now, I already said they were already out Damian Harris. So Bill Belichick's two rookie running backs, Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, had to shoulder the load for the Patriots. And Bruno, let me tell you, they didn't suck. <laughs> they did not suck. <laughs> and it, it just kind of goes to this point that I think Bill Belichick has really, really hit the last two years. You look at that on the field last night. And who was out there and how they were playing. Dude, I'll tell you, there there are some playmakers out there. So you talk about this 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 um this draft class. Jack Jones. Oh, he got he got injured. He only played one drive. And he was he was matched up with DeAndre Hopkins. So he only plays one drive. Marcus Jones comes in in a spot. Another rookie. Obviously, Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris, rookies. Tyquan Thornton inserted into the game more. He he's a rookie. Even Brendan Schooler making plays on on um, special teams. He's a rookie. So, Bruno, it just kind of goes down the list here uh, about the the talent acquisition that the Patriots have had in the last two drafts. And hopefully it's something to build off of as they go into next year. I do, I do think there are pieces in place. I just think they need to be coached properly in offense. What is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, Kurt, it's undeniable that, again, are we the most talented roster in the NFL? Probably not, right? But as you pointed out, There are pieces all over the place across all the positions that whether you said Bill Belichick drafting some guys that are making immediate impacts, guys we signed as free agents or, you know, whatever the case may be who are playing well. So, again, I think the the thing we've been trying to struggle with all year to your last point has been, is it like the players on the team? Like, is it Mac Jones? Is it, you know, whoever it might be? Or is it like the positions they're being put in, the coaching that's going on, the structures that are in place to like communicate and get people, you know, learning the offense and doing the right things? Obviously, it's probably somewhere in the middle of both and some other, right? It's never just one thing or the other. But Kurt, I absolutely agree with you. And here's the thing that I guess is somewhat exciting, right? Obviously, there's going to be changes after this year. Even if we make the playoffs, there's going to be changes, right? You brought this point up. I've said that like a thousand times. All it points is that all of that means is that I listen when you talk. So you're welcome. Um, you made the point that, yep, 
Robert Kraft at some point is most likely going to be like, all right, you know, I let you do this thing with, with, uh, with Matt Patricia and Joe judge. It ain't working. Even if we make the playoffs, that doesn't mean it worked. It clearly didn't. So we'd have to imagine we'd have to imagine that going into next year, there's going to be some better coaching, whether that's Bill O'Brien, like we're going to, you know, hopefully at some point figure out, or just honestly, anyone who has experience play calling that can help unlock some of these talented pieces that you're saying. And whether that's adding in a whole draft class, or as you said, we have like a hundred million cap space. So we're obviously going to have the ability to add some pieces there too. Like it sucks that I'm already focusing so hard on next year. Like I do want to enjoy the playoff race. I do want our team to improve this year. It's not like I don't want us to improve this year, but like, like you said, like, your question about you know the pieces that we have on the team the talent that we do have and the coaching and all of that as much as i took and we took and the season has taken a glass half empty approach for this year i think you can make a strong argument that it's glass half full heading into next year yeah I, again i think it's glass half full only if the changes are made okay well that's fair if, i'm assuming if for some reason yeah i mean bruno i, I agree with you dude yeah. it has to it has to happen um Going back to this game particularly, it amazes me the stupidity of some NFL head coaches. <laughs> Dan Campbell. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, doc, well documented. But, Bruno, I think Cliff Kingsbury is a very smart guy. I don't think he knows what the fuck he's doing in terms of game management. Okay? There was an opportunity in this game. Okay? It was 13-7. Arizona. They were on the Patriots 32-yard line right before the half. Right before the half. They're already up six. If they kick a field goal, 49-yard field goal, realistically, he probably makes it. I know he missed a 50-yarder early, but he probably makes it, and they go up 16-7. to If they're up 16-7 to going into the half, this game is dramatically different, I think. Rather, they go for it on fourth and one. Jelani Tavai makes a, <laughs> makes a play um, on a bad Colt McCoy pass, which should have been a completion for a first down. But ultimately, the Patriots get the ball back, go down the field, kick a field goal, make it thirteen to ten. Thirteen to ten is way different than six than sixteen to seven. And Bruno, I don't think this Patriots offense is equipped enough to go down two scores and feel good about what they're going to be doing. So instead, they're only down by three. They come out right out of the break. They they tie the game at thirteen, and then. The Patriots end up getting a defensive touchdown because the defense bails the offense out once again, makes it 20 to 13 Patriots. Um, and they end up scoring on their next offensive drive to make it 27 13, which was the final of the game. But Bruno, I just, if you're Cliff Kingsbury there, and it, it, it's any coach who plays the Patriots this year, just take the points. The offense is not good enough for the Patriots to come back from. More than one score deficits, which is horribly annoying to say, but it's true. And Bruno, we talk again about like that seventeen point number. Okay, if the if the opposing team scores above seventeen points, the Patriots are probably losing, which is just like that number seems so low. But it's just it's not good, and I I don't understand why these coaches just like they see Bill Belichick on the other sideline, they shit their they shit their pants. It's like, dude, just kick the field goal. It's not that deep. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I'll take it, help the Patriots win the game, but like, what do you, what is your take on that? No, it's, it's so true, Kurt. And I know, you know, 
we're not math guys. There's analytics. There's whatever, all that stuff going on that's kind of directing some coaches some ways. Again, we get all that. But I absolutely agree. I think you have to factor in your opponent into those situations. And maybe that is part of those calculations, right? But your point is so true. When you think about the Patriots this year, it has been a struggle for the Patriots to score points. When we have put up points, half the time it's like uh, a kick return for a touchdown, uh, a pick six, you know, a fumble recovery. Like half the time of the points that we're scoring, it's not even all on offense. So I absolutely agree with you. I don't know why, again, we're not, if what I always come back to is that like, if you and I are talking about it, yes, we're a couple of sharp football minds here, right on this podcast. But if you and I are talking about it, and if you and I are aware of this, how is everybody else consistently not aware of this? Well, it's a great point. And like, Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals, came out this week, made headlines talking about how defensive orientation. Yeah, how Matt Patricia is clearly a defensive guy calling offensive plays. So many screens, so many quick games. Matt Patricia hears those things and then decides to run 11 screens in the game yesterday. Most in Mac Jones's career, most in Bill Belichick's career as a Patriots head coach. 11 screens. Bruno, we were joking yesterday in our group chat that Matt Patricia's play playbook, play call sheet can't be more than five pages, and three <laughs> of the pages have to be screens. Yeah. It was just like screen right, screen left, run for two yards, run for three yards, holding, screen left, on repeat most of the game till they decided like, oh, we have decent wide receivers. Let's throw to them. Oh, Hunter Henry, we're paying him a lot of money. Let's throw to him up the scene. So it's just like, oh, my God, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So not great from that perspective. Bruno, one la- one kind of last thing here. Defensively, the last six weeks, the last three particularly, the rise of Josh Uche to be in tandem with um, Matt Judon is is a development I did not expect, okay? <laughs> Through his first four games, Josh Uche had zero sacks. He currently has 10. <laughs> Matt, Judon has, Matt Judon has 14 and a half. Bruno, here's this little stat for you. I'm ready. The NFL player with the best pressure rate is, drumroll please, <laughs> Josh Uche. Nailed it. Bruno, he's has 10 sacks in his last six games. On rushing the passers, he gets the quarterback 20.7% of the time. Jeez. Best in the NFL. Matt Judon is seventh at 17.2. I mean, like, are we kidding? I Again, I just did not expect this development. Yeah, Kurt, neither did I. Uh, I just looked it up while you were talking. I completely forgot when and where we drafted him. Uh, do you Wait, before I say it, do you know it off the top of your head? He's Michigan, man. Michigan, man. 2020, two years ago, do you know the pick? I don't know the pick, but he was a third-round pick. Or second-round pick? Third-round pick. You're kind of right. Round two, pick 60. So pretty close to the end of round two. But um, Which is kind of surprising because I don't remember it being that high. But like you said, Kurt, uh, I don't remember us having these expectations for him. And now they are also that high. Because like you said... Matt Judon then, you know, we obviously have this game happen. Matt Judon then goes in the media, and he's pretty much just like, I'm not the best pass rusher on the team. Like, that's pretty crazy for him to just go out and say. But, like, 10 sacks in six games? God damn. Matt Judon is a very humble individual. And, like, Josh Uche said in his post-game press conference yesterday that he owes everything to Matt Judon because, like, iron sharpens iron. Like, he gets to watch Matt Judon at his craft every day. And Josh is like, oh, shit, that's a pretty good person to learn a few things from. So it's interesting because uh, 
there was something yesterday that was like, um, in high school, Josh Uche broke out his junior year, his third year. In college, Josh Uche broke out in his third year. And now in the NFL, Josh Uche has broken out in his third year. So good things come in threes, and this third year has been very, very good for Josh Uche. Yeah, and Kurt, this is, again, like, I'm we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, like, get finding pieces like this. I know it was a second-round pick, so it's not like this was, like, a fourth or fifth rounder, but, like, getting pieces like these, being able to develop them and having them shine, especially while they're on their first contracts, that's huge. Whether you're the Super Bowl contenders, whether you're contending for the playoffs, or honestly for any team, right? So this goes back to your earlier point about both Bill hitting on these recent drafts, but then also the talent that we do have on our team that is starting to shine despite all the coaching that's going on. Honestly, it sounds like Matt Judon's doing a better job coaching than our coaches. No, no disrespect to the defensive coaches, but I'm just saying, like, again, despite all that stuff going on, Josh Uche popping the fuck off. So, Kurt, all I'm going to say is I'm not a math guy. Six games tripled roughly 17. It's 18, obviously. 10 sacks tripled 30. 30 sack season for Josh Uche. NFL record. NFL. Congratulations, Josh Uche. <laughs> um, Bruno, last thing here before we wrap it up. I want your thoughts. Yep. So clearly, Mac Jones hasn't seen eye to eye lately with the first year play caller. That is Matt Patricia. What do you think of last week, the antics against Buffalo and the antics again this week against the Cardinals? And, like, ESPN was all over that shit. Like, ESPN made a big deal about that. So, Mac Jones had to call a timeout. Uh, the play didn't come in quick enough or something. They had trouble lining up. What? I have – I'll start. I have no problem with Mac with Mac Jones being upset about Matt Patricia. I, I can't imagine being in Mac Jones' shoes because I am positive Mac Jones knows more about offense than Matt Patricia. So, it's probably frustrating. Like I said yesterday, imagine being Mac Jones and being just way smarter than your boss every day and having to listen to him like blab in meetings. Like it's probably infuriating. But I do think he looks a little bit like a whiny baby when he does it on national television two weeks in a row. And I think it's just drawing more attention to the issue. And the issue is just not going to go away the more attention that gets drawn to it. So, I mean, the issue is not going away anyway because Matt Patricia is still the play caller. But I don't know. I'd like to see that maybe happen, the blowout happen on the sideline rather than kind of throwing a hissy fit at midfield. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I, I don't blame the kid at all, and I genuinely feel bad for him. But I was like, eh, this isn't the best look. Yeah, Kurt, I pretty much agree with you. I mean, again, we're used to Tom Brady on the sidelines, blowing up, throwing surfaces, getting mad, yelling and shit. Like, we're used to that, right, as Patriots fans? I agree. Like, in the middle of the field, like, again, like, as bad as things are, like, you're on the field with your teammates, right? Like, try to figure it out. Do what you got to do. I know it's not ideal, but, like, listen, like, just get out there and try to do your job, do your job as best as you can, despite everything going on. Agree that that's probably more of maybe, like, a sideline conversation or even, like, not in a public eye kind of thing. But, Kurt, I pretty much agree with whether you sent this or Jason sent this in the group chat. I forget. Someone was like, I'm kind of back in on Mac Jones because of how out he is on Mac Patricia, something along those lines. That made me yeah. laugh, and it's also kind of true. Like, it is it is pretty fucking funny. Kurt, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're also leading to a conversation about what we think for Mac Jones moving forward. I think that obviously depends the rest of the season and then, you know, what happens with the coaching, right? So it's not a complete conversation yet, but, like, he was a proven winner in Alabama, played under Nick Saban, 
leading up to the draft, people were high on him. He had good points in his first couple seasons. We saw last year him do some good things. Obviously, there's progression and growth with a, a newer, younger quarterback, right? So, like, again, if we hadn't seen a lot of those things, maybe I'd be like, I don't know. But, like, theoretically, again, like, we've seen, like, b- besides these last two two games, we saw Tua get some weapons, get a new coach, and immediately look a lot better, right? Theoretically, that could be the same thing. We have $100 million in cap space. We could go get some weapons, get some new offensive coaches in there, and Mac Jones could be the guy. So I agree he needs to clean up. I think that'll come with, like, time and, like, being a leader. And I'm sure, like, people like Matthew Slater are in his ear being like, hey, like, we get the passion, but, like, let's, let's you know, try to rein it in for your teammates. If he can get that out of his system this year, and then we can get some people out of certain systems next year, then uh, things could be looking up. Yeah, I like the fieriness of it. I like him. I think he is a good leader. Everyone in the locker room says he's a good leader. I just like like you. I'm like, you know, it's a little distasteful at times. But I have no doubt that Mac Jones is the guy moving forward. I, I really don't have any doubt in my mind. I just think he was not put in advantageous situations this year. And it showed. Um, and again, like you said, $100 million in cap space. They have like 12 picks in the draft this year. It's go out, go get him more weapons. More, more importantly... Just protect him. You, we've seen even this year, when he's protected, he's pretty good. Last night, when he was protected, he was good. In the Minnesota game where he didn't get touched, he was pretty good. He was pretty damn good. All right, so, again, just protect him. Put put a good supporting cast around him. Let's see what we got. So, Bruno, that's it from me. I think it's dip for you. We're tired. It's late. It's finals week. Brain is sludge. Brain is mush. Um, and uh, it's the time to take me home country roads. Take me on country roads, Kurt. We will see what happens this week against the Las Vegas Raiders. Are we finally back to playing on a Sunday? I think we are, so that'll be enjoyable. So for once, Kurt, we can have a normal pick six where we're picking six. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, no, no. Normal pick six where we're picking six, but th- this is the first week of the NFL that they are now playing some games on Saturday. Oh, God. There I forgot about big- that. And there are some big Saturday games this week. So we will chat. But yeah, normal, normal-ish pick six this week. <laughs> okay, so spoke too soon. This is why Kurt's in charge. Um, so as Kurt eloquently stated, uh, pick six TBD this week. But I'm glad at least the Patriots, no matter what happens on Saturday, I'm glad we're back to playing on a Sunday. It's been a wild ride these last four weeks. Again, big game against the Raiders. We're going to see what happens. We'll learn a lot this week, I'm sure. And, you know, hopefully we have some uh, good shit to talk about next week. But for now... Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast shout out to our new sponsors awake bar um, I'm glad that those will be delivered they uh, definitely wasn't Anthony Rosati who delivered those to Kurt's house it was definitely awake themselves so shout out a awake just kidding also shout out the Rosati's for being uh, the goats and Kurt um, you know we'll do the pick six we'll see what the Patriots got and we'll be back here next week Kurt we will see you next time on playing the field bye guys